welcome to episode 257. Before we get into this week's bookish conversation, I have some personal news to share. So if you tend to fast forward through podcast intros, you might want to stick around for this one. I am so excited to let you know that I'm pregnant. I have been debating the best way to share this with our SSR community, since a big announcement on Instagram just hasn't felt like the right thing for me. And then it occurred to me that I should do it right here on the podcast where we first got to know each other. I am due in late January, feeling as well as can be expected, and so grateful for the opportunity to move into this new chapter. I will share more about the implications of this development for the podcast as we get closer, but at the moment, I can tell you that you will be getting new episodes of SSR every week as usual through the end of 2023. I will be taking some time off from producing the show at the beginning of the new year as I prepare for and navigate this big life change. Once I have a better sense of my childcare situation, I will be able to start booking interviews and make a plan to get things going again. In the meantime, I'll be looking to you for support, and I appreciate it in advance. Thank you for celebrating with me. Okay, now that I've shared that, let's get into this week's throwback. We are coming back to the Babysitter's Club Mysteries, more specifically, the eighth installment, Jesse and the Jewel Thieves. In Jesse and the Jewel Thieves, BSC junior officer Jesse Ramsey joins Stacy for a trip to New York City. The plan is to watch her sort of boyfriend, Quint, perform in a ballet and to then promptly put him in the friend zone. But there's a twist. Jesse and Quint overhear two men chatting about what the kids think is a jewel heist. Obviously, they have to get to the bottom of things. While all of this is happening in New York, babysitting business continues as always back in Stony Brook. The BSE is paying special attention to Jesse's little sister, Becca, who is pretty bummed that her family is out of town for the weekend. The babysitting B-plot is a little boring, but we still get into it before turning our attention to all the drama in New York. My guests and I discuss DTRs, LDRs, the role that race plays in Jesse and the Jewel Thieves, brewing friend tension, first breakups, and the inner lives of kids. We also consider whether or not Jesse and the Jewel Thieves is actually a mystery, and if we care. Today, it's my pleasure to introduce you to Danielle Jackson, a contemporary romance author, avid reader, lackluster yet mighty crafter, and accomplished TV binge watcher. Danielle has had the unique experience of working on almost every side of the book business. As a publicist at a publisher, an editorial manager of a book review website, an events coordinator at an independent bookstore, and now an author. When she's not writing, Danielle co-hosts a pop culture podcast, moderates and participates in industry panels, and hosts a romance book club. Danielle lives in Chicagoland with her very own romance hero husband, darling daughter, and two tempestuous cats. You can find Danielle's romance novels, The Accidental Pinup and Accidentally in Love, wherever books are sold. Follow her on Twitter and Instagram at djacksonbooks. Let's also take a moment to talk about where you can find SSR online. We are at SSRPod on Instagram and Twitter, and on Facebook when you search the SSR Podcast or the SSR Book Club. I feel like I don't take enough opportunities to plug the podcast website, where you can find so many goodies, book recommendations from our guests, links to interesting resources about the books we talk about on the show, our SSR merch shop, and so much more. Check it out at www.ssrpodcast.com. The SSR website is also an easy way to find our Patreon. When you tap support at the top of the page at www.ssrpodcast.com, 
you will be whisked away to that extra special little corner of the SSR community where for as little as $1 per month, you can help us keep the pod going strong in exchange for exclusive perks. You can also get there at the link in SSR's Instagram bio or by going to www.patreon.com slash SSR podcast. Depending on the tier you choose, you will get things like an invite to the SSR Discord channel, access to weekly bonus Q&As with guests like Danielle, monthly newsletters, bonus episodes, reading recap videos, and an invitation to the SWR, that's Shit We Read, book club. This month in SWR, we are reading Jane Roper's The Society of Shame, and it has already been tons of fun. We would love to have you along. This episode is brought to you by the AHK Writing Community. I started the AHK Writing Community last year in hopes of connecting aspiring fiction writers and sharing what I learned in my MFA program. Whether you think writing short stories could be a fun hobby, or you've already written half of a novel, you are welcome in this group. I offer accountability, workshopping, prompts, writing advice, sharing challenges, and lots of writing discussion. We also have monthly writing office hours in which members are invited to join in for virtual co-working sessions to stay on top of their creative goals. Check it out at www.patreon.com slash ahkwriters and feel free to send me a DM if you have any questions. I can't wait to meet you and to read your work. I know that was quite the intro. Thanks for your patience. Now let's go to the show. Welcome to the SSR Podcast. You may recognize SSR as an elementary school era abbreviation for silent sustained reading, but if you don't, that's okay. What it stands for here is Shit She Read. Each week, we'll crack the binding on an old school read written for kids or teens and talk about it from a kind of grown-up perspective. We'll obsess over heartthrobs, relive the frustrations of middle school, and say an occasional WTF to a beloved author. If we haven't met yet, I'm your host, Ali Hofkosik, freelance writer, lifelong bookworm, and lover of anything covered in rainbow sprinkles. So find your favorite reading spot and a glass of wine. We're about to revisit some literary throwbacks right here on the SSR Podcast. Hi, Danielle. Welcome to SSR. Hi, Allie. Thank you so much for having me. Today, we are getting mysterious with the Babysitter's Club. And because we are just meeting, I need to like do a little time travel with you. And I need to hear a little bit about your history with the Babysitter's Club. Did you read the series when you were growing up? Like, were you a big fan? Tell me all the details. Yeah, I think the Babysitter's Club was, well, definitely... I know I got them at the Scholastic Book Fair. I'm looking, I have my copy <gasps> of Bessie and the Jewel Thieves. I'll have to take a picture when we start like promoing everything and, and share yeah. it. But yeah. And so it probably came from the Scholastic Book Fair. I think it was like my first obsessive like reading series experience where when this book came out, this book came out in 1993. I was eight years old, so I was like the prime age, and that's like all I read. I was like, I, I think it was just, it was the right place, the right time, and yeah, I think I, I don't know if I owned every single one of the Babysitter's Club books, but I owned a lot of them and read them and reread them, and so when I was thinking about like what I wanted to read for this podcast, Babysitter's Club was like, probably the first thing that I thought of just because I remember having such a visceral 
reaction, even when I was eight, you know, reading them and just loving them and just discovering, I think really one of like be the beginning of my joy of like reading and really understanding how important books are. Oh, it makes me so happy that this gave you a reason to go back in time then. How fun. Yeah, for sure. Definitely. Do you remember what it was about the series or about the girls that drew you in and inspired you not only to collect them, but to sometimes reread them? Yeah, I mean, I definitely think it was the idea of just like a group of girls getting together, having fun was probably the most important part and and really seeing their friendships grow. Like I remember, I can't remember which book it was. But at some point, like, and I don't remember which of the babysitters it was, but like they all, they would sometimes like have arguments and they would fight, but then they were still friends. Yeah. <laughs> and I think when you're, you know, you're eight and you're really eight or nine or whatever, and you're really starting to develop those like kind of some, of, I still have friends that I still talk to from that time, you know, and so you're developing what are going to become these lifelong friendships. Um, so seeing that, like the conflict that they would go through was really intriguing to me. But then also I eventually became like the neighborhood babysitter. And so like the babysitters, and I think it was really very much influenced by the babysitters club. But I was like, when I was like, you know, probably 12 or so, I was like the go-to older girl who would babysit everyone's kids. And so the idea of like, kind of having a business. I don't know. I don't know if I thought of it that way, but like kind of in retrospect, it was like, oh no, these were like little young entrepreneurs, like, you know, making them making money, real money and figuring out the best way to be like the go-to babysitter. So yeah, 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 yeah. There was like a lot of like these little things definitely in retrospect, like going through this book that I was like, wow, the babysitters club really like changed my life a bit. <laughs> There is something so aspirational about the books and I wasn't like a major fan of them when I was growing up. I like dabbled in them, I would say, like as they were available at the school library, I would take them out, but I don't ever remember like owning a lot of them. And I, I remember thinking the girls were so cool and I remember feeling like I was being taken seriously as a reader because I was being presented with characters that weren't that much older than I was at the time who were doing like real grown up stuff in the world. And that made me feel like I could do real grown up stuff in the world. And I spent the first six years of my life as an only child. And then I spent a lot of my life after that as an only child because I have divorced parents and I only have siblings on one side. And so I think there was something really attractive about friendships like I saw modeled in the book and I love that you mentioned the conflict resolution because that has come up on a couple previous episodes like it is amazing how these girls just manage to work out their stuff with each other yeah and they fight and sometimes they gossip about each other with each other and that's obviously not great but somehow they always manage to like bring it back to if nothing else, like the babysitting like babysitting mm -hmm. always comes first with this with these girls and it unites them. And I love the entrepreneurial element as well. Like we've had some discussions on previous BSC episodes about how it's just so cool to think about how these books have aged mm -hmm. in 2023. And we got to see a little bit of like a refresh of the books with the Netflix adaptation, which I absolutely loved. Adored it. Loved it so much. Yeah. How cool was it? Like, yeah, it was so good. And I think the first... The first Babysitter's Club episode of the podcast we did and probably the first handful were before the adaptation came out and we were like, what if they were on social media? Like imagine what they could do with social media. 
And so it was cool to see that actually exist. But even now I'm like, oh, these books have aged in such a cool way because I can see this endeavor happening even now, just in a different way. Yeah, I 100% agree. What's even more interesting too is my daughter is about, by the time this podcast goes up, she will be nine. And so she's gotten into the Babysitter's Club and really not with too much like poking from me about it. You know, they've been redoing them as graphic novels. And so she found them, I think, at her school. I don't think she, she, her school doesn't do Scholastic Book Fair, but at the book fair, they had them there. And she just, she was like, mom, I'm like really into the babysitter's club. And I was like, okay, let me, let like, let's have a conversation because these books were really important to me too. And they've been really fun. And so my parents, I have some too, again, I'm going to take photos. My parents found like a box of my old books. So I have like, just like a stack. This is just like, I have like one, two, three, five of them, plus Jesse, the book we read. But I have like a bunch of them that I now can like share with her, but she's also like, what are these covers? Like they're weird, you know? <laughs> so, <laughs> What are they wearing? And why right, is it so yeah. uncool? <laughs> like I thought Stacy and Claudia were so fashionable. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> Although I guess some of it's coming back. Like probably some of it is cool again now. Yeah, definitely. For sure. <laughs> So your babysitting career, do mm-hmm. you think, like, let's talk about the chicken or the egg of it all. Like, yeah. were you inspired to become a babysitter by the Babysitter's Club? Or do you think you would have wound up in that position anyway? I think I was. I think I definitely was inspired. But I also think I probably would have been. So my, I have a younger brother. He's four years younger than me. And so I kind of was already, if my mom like ran to the store or whatever, I would all, I would just watch him even when I was like 10 or 11, which just says more about the time <laughs> I grew up in, you know, but yeah, I, but I, so I think I would have gotten there eventually, but I definitely think the babysitters club was like, oh, this is something that I can do that I can make money from. And also like be responsible. I don't know. Like, that's what I'm thinking. You know, I'm just like trying to think of how I would have approached it. Like when I was probably like 11 or 12. And I think it would have been more of like, and I think I, I I definitely have like big, big sister energy. So I think I was just, yeah, you know, so I think I, I think I was just, I probably would have been approached even by just like my parents, friends or other parents in the neighborhood to be like, you know, can you want to make some money? Do you want to watch your kids for a while? So Cool. Now, now that I know that you were a Babysitter's Club super fan and yeah. perhaps would still categorize yourself that way, uh-huh. I can ask you the big question, which is, which of the babysitters do you remember relating most to? And has that changed? I mean, we don't get to see that many of them in this installment. Like we really are focused on Jesse in this book. We see like glimpses of the others, but it sounds like you watch the adaptation and you're having these conversations with your daughter I always love to hear about how like our BSC identities have evolved over time. Yeah. I mean, I think when I was younger, I would have said Claudia because she was like the cool one. (laughs) Right. Yeah. We all want to be Claudia. (laughs) Yeah. Everyone. Right. But she also was like an artist. I was really into art. Like art was my favorite. Aside from like, you know, English or reading or whatever, art was like definitely what I like, I liked to do in school. But I mean, I think in retrospect, I was probably, 
I, I was going to say, I was like, I, I think my personality is most like Marianne's, but I did not have a boyfriend like Marianne did. Like, that was one of my favorite things about the Babysitter's Club is that, like, here's, like, the super shy girl and she's the one that got the boyfriend. <laughs> yep. Which probably also informed the fact that now I write romance a little bit in a way, too. But then, really, I think... I think Jesse was really a relatable character. I am a black woman. So being able to see in this very popular book series, like, you know, a black girl to get to have her own books and not just be a side character. I think I probably didn't have like the wherewithal when I was like eight or nine, but I think even as like a teenager, because even as a teenager, I would go back and like reread these books. These were definitely like my first comfort rereads, you know, and going back and realizing, oh no, like Jesse was like, an interesting, like a good character to have. I'm sure we'll talk about like the fact that she was more most likely written by a white woman, and you know, and the fact that her race doesn't come up that much, but it does. It does. I was actually surprised rereading this that it did come up, and in the ways that it did. So I think that that was really like Jesse was a character, and now too, in fact, rereading this book and like thinking about how Jesse was like so determined to be a great dancer but also do well in school and you know and her family had moved and you know all of those like kind of pressures that I think kids of color do go through I think in retrospect like I probably did relate to Jesse quite a bit more than I realized when I was younger great well I'll be anxious to hear more of your take on how Jesse is written as we go through this conversation <laughs> because yes. as you said it comes up but my, my read on it as a white woman was mm -hmm. that it was a little clunky at times. And I'm looking forward to hearing what you have to say about that. Yeah. So when I was a kid, I didn't even know about the mystery books. I don't know where I was or how I missed it. And this is now the second one that we have come to for the podcast. The other one we did was a Claudia mystery. And it had to do, no surprise, with art. Like, I think that there was some... <laughs> art theft at a museum like everybody is just being fully themselves of course but Jesse and the Jewel Thieves was a lot of fun I will say we had a lot of people respond to my Instagram posts about the book who are like oh yeah like I remember this one and in a series with so many books I think that's saying something yeah. if this is a book that sticks out to people do you remember like why this was one that you loved because you mentioned it specifically when we were choosing your book like yeah. I didn't even I didn't even put this one out to you so what was it about this one that really stands the test of time in your memory what's so funny Funny. Okay, so I just I remember read. I mean, you can look at I mean, again, I'm going to take photos, but like the spine is cracked, like it is definitely like well loved like this book. So I know I've reread this book a ton. But I honestly, aside from like remembering that Jesse went to New York, and her like, I get like, so I'm like making air quotes, like her long distance boyfriend was <laughs> there favorite. as well. My favorite and, detail. <laughs> yeah, I know. It's so random. And I was just like, that's like all I remembered. I didn't remember like anything from the plot. I could not have told you like where the jewel thing, the thieves actually came <laughs> into play. But I just, I do, it was like one of those like, almost like muscle memory. Like I'm like, I was like holding the book and I was like, yes, I remember like holding this book and reading it. But I definitely loved the fact, I know New York was like a big draw for me. I was always intrigued. I've grown up, I live currently live outside of Chicago. I've grown, this is like where basically I've grown up. And so I know like what a city is, but also like New York was just like that next step up in a way like from Chicago but then I'm also like one of those Chicagoans that's like Chicago's just as good as New York like so I get like my bristles up but anyway I I definitely was like no New York that's like the ultimate like city place to go that was definitely a big draw and then I think 
just for me, it was Jesse being on the cover and, you know, just seeing like another like black girl. And then like, who was this boy? Like, what's happening? You know, that was definitely like, oh, what's happening with Jesse and this this boy that she's apparently seeing? So, yeah, those were all kind of like the elements that I remember really being drawn to. Right. Not only does Jesse get to have her own story, but she gets to have her own love interest. Mm-hmm. And that plays out in very dramatic way in this book of course (laughs) but she gets to be like a full person which is really great and I have read you know some essays by women of color who talk about how important that was for them and I hear that echoed in what you're saying as well yeah so I'm glad you mentioned the New York City of it all because I think that's a great way to segue into the specifics of this book at the beginning Jesse is preparing for this big trip to New York and one of the things I most loved about Jesse and the Jewel Thieves is the way that it portrays a kid's experience with New York City. Mm -hmm. I felt it was so true. It's like the way that I experienced New York when I was a kid. And it reads like this really fun, like tour of New York. Yeah. And there's this sense in the beginning that Jesse's like, who am I to go to New York? I pulled out one (laughs) line that says, I couldn't believe I was actually going to spend another weekend in the Big Apple. Me, Jesse Ramsey, an 11-year-old in the sixth grade at Stony Brook Middle School. (laughs) Classic BSE. Yeah. I was going to be on my own in the most exciting city in the world. Well, not on my own exactly. I'd be staying with my friend Stacey McGill, who was going to be visiting with her father in his Manhattan apartment. I mean, Anna M. Martin wastes no time with that exposition. It's like, okay, she's 11. She's in sixth grade at Stony Brook Middle School. She's going with Stacy. Stacy used to live in New York. Like, yeah. how much information can we pack into two sentences? But we get it, and we get Jesse's sense of awe. She can't wait to go. Her parents are also getting ready to go away for the weekend. And we learn right away that as all of the Ramseys are packing up to go on their trips, there's one Ramsey who is really bummed out, and that's Becca, the eight-year-old who is being left behind while Jesse goes to New York and the rest of the family goes to a wedding and Becca has to go stay with the Pikes. And we all know that the Pikes is that they're like this big, loud family. Like, let's start with Becca and sort of (laughs) let's get the babysitting (laughs) B plot out of the way. Agreed. (laughs) Because like, let's make it clear listeners. I know we're talking about a big mystery and we're talking about Jesse's glamorous trip to New York. But make no mistake, there's still babysitting going on. Still There's happening. always babysitting. Yes. And especially in the second half of the book, there are these really clunky like switches back and <laughs> forth from New York to like all of a sudden we're back in Stony Brook while all of the other babysitters are dealing with the situation back home with the kids because Becca is really proving herself to be a problem. She's really upset. Yeah. So I've never had an eight-year-old. Uh, so Danielle, maybe you can illuminate this for me. But yeah, I I found Becca's just melodramatic mm-hmm. performance about being left at home and having to stay at the Pikes. Although it seemed like the Pikes are doing everything they could to make sure she had a good time. Becca was like a lot for me. And maybe it's wrong to say that as an adult woman to be like judgmental of an eight-year-old. But I... I struggled with Becca because she was like, my family hates me. My family doesn't love me. She's like trying to run away. I would have gotten frustrated way quicker than any of these adults did. Yes. As someone who currently lives with an eight, almost nine year old, there are definitely like, there are definitely like shades of this. Like where it is, it's very much like a couple of weeks ago, my daughter went to stay with my in-laws, which is great. Like, and we knew they were going to have this amazing time. Um, They had all this stuff planned. And I think my daughter, her name is Ivy. She was like, what are you, what are you and daddy doing? And we're like, oh, you know, we may like go out to dinner or something, you know, like, we're just like, we're going (laughs) to 
honestly like sit at home and like binge watch a show that we can't watch with her in the room. But we're yeah, we're going to dinner, you know. And you're like, we're not going to France. Like, yeah, just right. yeah, <laughs> we're not even leaving. We're we're staying at yeah. our house. We're not going anywhere. But yeah, we were like, we're going to go out to dinner. She's like, oh, I want to go out to dinner too. <laughs> and we were like, what do you think you're doing with your grandparents? Like for every meal probably right so we were just kind of like so they're definitely like the the i think you know emotions just run high at that age and they just yeah. really so like i mean it's definitely like ramped up in this book like every word out of becca's mouth until almost the very end it's just everyone hates me but i definitely i mean i definitely saw like the shades of like an eight-year-old just feeling like the world is against them and there is nothing that they can do. And it's just so, it's so hard. It's really hard being an eight-year-old, Allie. I don't know. I don't know what else to say. <laughs> I mean, you're right. I'm sure it's very difficult. Maybe what I was struggling with just as much with, if not more, was like Jesse's reaction to Becca. Like, yeah. and I'm somebody who has t a ton of big sister energy and I have younger sisters. So I, and I get the like pressure to want to be available to your younger siblings. Right. But Jesse was like taking on so much responsibility for her younger sister. And I think this is where we get to like, you kind of have to laugh at the degree to which the babysitters take themselves just like so seriously <laughs> as babysitters and like childcare professionals. Yeah. I think my favorite line of the book, at least to the extent that it made me totally LOL, at some point, Jesse goes to Quint, her long distance boyfriend's apartment and sees his younger siblings and she reflects, I never know if it's a good idea to tell kids what to do when their parents are standing right there. <laughs> I mean, I don't want to act as if I'm in charge or anything, but I am used to taking care of kids. And I know that things like cartwheels in the living room aren't a great idea. These girls just like can't turn it off. And like, I appreciate the professionalism. <laughs> yeah. But I'm like, Jesse, A, you do not have to take care of these kids that yeah. are that you're not being paid to take care of. And like your little sister is going to be okay. She calls so many times to check on Jesse. I do want to applaud Marianne because Marianne was back home with the rest of the babysitters. They were all kind of like, you know, teaming up to make sure that Becca was going to be okay. And Marianne, I think, really is the hero because mm -hmm. when Becca decides that she's going to run away from the Pikes to go home <laughs> to camp out in the backyard, Marianne does what I think I would probably be too scared to do, which she's like, okay. Yeah, right. Well, I guess you could if you wanted to. Like, did you need help packing or what? Like, she totally goes along with it. Mm -hmm. And then Becca, like, does not call her bluff. Marianne goes as far as to, like, go with her yeah. to camp out in the backyard and just kind of, like, waits it out. So I, I really liked Marianne in that moment. And I thought it showed a fun side of her as a babysitter. But in general, like, the babysitting B-plot, not great. I think there was another one. There was another Babysitter's Club book that we read not so long ago where like the babysitting B plot was actually more interesting to us than the A plot. <laughs> yeah. But this one for me, I was like, no, bring me back to New York. Let me hang out with Jesse. Yeah. You know, and it's interesting because I was thinking about this because the, the babysitting B plot, it's like, I couldn't quite tell like what the like plotting device was because it was kind of like just it, it was happening when it should have happened in the story but it was like Jesse was finding out about it later based on like the journal, the babysitter journal yeah. entries, which was just really strange. It was really strange. Yeah. And it, it didn't really Becca's story had nothing to do right. with Jesse's story 
at all. It was just like, oh, wait, this is a babysitter's club book. We need some babysitting. Right. There was She wasn't doing that thing where like there's sort of a parallel to whatever lesson the babysitter yeah. and the A plot is learning within the babysitting subplot. It just felt very random. And I agree with you. Like the chronology of it felt kind of weird and clunky yeah. because – we stay in Jesse's POV, which is what should happen because right. it's a book from Jesse's POV. But we kind of weirdly like switch into this like past tense voice wherein she's like, but then I heard this from my friends about what was going yeah. on at home with Becca. And I see why Anna Martin kind of had to do that because Jesse like isn't around. Right. And I'm sure that like your average kid reader wouldn't notice that. But to me, as an adult who like <laughs> reads a lot and writes, yeah. I was like, mm, and I think we could have ironed this out a bit. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Totally. But now let's go back to New York because okay. that's where like the real glamour is happening. Yeah. Um, Jesse is going to see her boyfriend. <laughs> I can't help but like laugh every time. Like I should find it because I know I have it marked like how she describes like I'm in this long distance relationship and I'm just like, <laughs> you're 11. <laughs> right. She like doesn't know. I think the word she used was like, I don't know how true I have to be to him. Yes. Yep. Exactly. Yep. Found it. Yeah. On page three. In fact, <laughs> she wastes no time. No time. You, Danielle. <laughs> I yeah. love it so much. <laughs> Yeah, she's like, I have been in this relationship with Quint. And we did we did read the book where Jesse meets Quint. I think it's like their first big New York adventure. And they meet when they're going to see a ballet. Yeah. And it is cool because Quint is a boy who is interested in ballet. And I loved that. We talked about that quite a bit on that episode. And yeah, it was really cool. How he overcomes some of his insecurities about just like the heteronormativity of it all and like how other boys at school were teasing him. And yeah. obviously that's bullshit. And it's really cool that he decides to just go for it and go to Juilliard because he's clearly very, very talented. Yeah. And Jesse is going to visit him because he has a big performance at Juilliard, which is, I love that. Like I love that really she's cool. been invited. It's yeah. so cool that they share this interest. But yeah, she's having a lot of anxiety. And even on the train to New York from Connecticut, she has determined that she needs to have the DTR, the Defining the Relationship yes. Conversation, oh, yeah. at the age of 11. <laughs> do you feel like Jesse though I feel like Jesse more so than Mallory was like maybe Jesse was supposed to be like aren't they all supposed they're supposed to be 13 the rest of the babysitters are 13 right I think yeah and Jesse's 11 and so Jesse yeah, and true. Mallory are 11 yeah and I feel like Jesse sometimes even comes across as like she should be older almost to me yeah, and maybe there's something to the fact that, like, yes, they're 11, but they, like, hang out with older kids. That's true. Yeah. But 11 seems really young. Like, I was afraid of boys at 11. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> For sure. I'm still, like, a little hesitant about them if they're not my husband or, like, my dad. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> to be honest. Totally. Like, I prefer to stick to the ones that I know. And Jessie yeah. has not only gotten herself a boyfriend, but she's gone to another state and gotten herself a boyfriend. Yeah. And I just have a lot of questions about like how their relationship, their LDR would have progressed in a time before cell phones. Like I, we don't learn, like, are they writing letters? I guess they're on the landline. Yes, exactly. <laughs> so many things we don't know. Yeah. There must have been a real spark. They must have been very committed to even do this for a couple of months. So I was feeling sad at the beginning when she had kind of already decided 
that she was going to friend zone him. There was just like no getting around that. But she gets there. She gets to Stacy's dad's apartment. And I wanted to take a moment for Stacy because I felt for Stacy in this book. Um, if I were Stacy, I would be so pissed at Jesse. Yeah. Because because Jesse's literally just like crashing at her dad's house. And Stacy helps her call a cab literally every morning. <laughs> and then Jesse just like goes off just leaves into the city <laughs> to hang out with her boyfriend, not boyfriend. The only time that she resurfaces is to have lunch with Stacy and her dad. And they're like, oh, yeah, we want to go to the plaza. And we find out that there's, like, a very good reason that they're going to go to the plaza. But I was fully waiting for Stacey to have a moment with Jesse where she was like, I feel completely, like, abandoned by you. Yeah, definitely. And even, like, could you imagine, like, I was trying to think, I was thinking about this from definitely, like, a parent, a parental perspective. But I was like, if I was Stacey's dad... And they're like, we want to have lunch at the plaza. Like, I can't remember the name of the the restaurant, but like this very swanky high end restaurant where, and then they show up and like, they've clearly been running all over the city. Like they're probably sweaty and they're like trying to be at the plaza having like a nice lunch, but, and then they're acting distracted. Like I would have been like, what is that? What's happening? What are you doing? (laughs) Right, like Stacy's dad is not only taking his daughter out to lunch, he's sharing this limited time that he has with his daughter with his daughter's friend. Yeah. And now he's being expected to take this friend out to lunch as well as this friend's 11-year-old boyfriend. <laughs> and I was just thinking about my own parents' reaction. Like, if I was like, yes, we'd like to go to the plaza, my parents would be like, I was thinking Red Robin. Like, Yes. <laughs> And I guess it was very cool of Stacy's dad to be like, yes, sure. Like, this is an experience. Like, he definitely was laughing at them a little bit. Like, hilarious that they would think this is just a thing that we could do. But (laughs) I thought that was so funny and so absurd. But I just want to say on the record that Stacy would have 100% been within her right to be annoyed with Jesse. Because, yes, yes, she is having quality time with her dad. But Jesse just completely blows her off. For sure. I think, like, if this had been a subplot on the show – like they would have had like an argument, you know, like it would have come up and I feel like there would be a very silly, like Stacy's dad reaction to like going to the plaza, you know, like there would have been more made out of it than, than what it is. It's a, he's okay, I guess we're going to the plaza. Like, (laughs) yeah. I mean, I wanted that subplot more than I wanted the babysitting subplot back in Stony Brook. But I guess we're just left to wonder in our own heads, how Stacy really felt about what was going on. So like I'm just trying to get some of these other characters out of the way because it's time to focus on Jesse and Quint and what happens to them when they get to New York. <laughs> so Jesse goes to Quint's house apartment and they're hanging out in his room and they are doing the people watching thing as you do in New York City and Jesse reflects that like oh are all of these apartments are in really close proximity and how crazy is it that we can listen to what people are talking about across the alley. So they notice that there's these two men in the apartment across the alley and they seem like they're really heated and they're having this argument. And I just, I thought I'd read it because it is, it's, it's worth wonderful. reading word for yeah. word. It's, it's delightful. <laughs> so one man says, you double crossing weasel. I'm not double crossing you, Frank. It's just that I'm not so sure about this plan of yours. What are you talking about? We've worked on this plan for three months. It's foolproof, Red. What are you afraid of, you lily livered chicken hearted wimp? You make me sick. 
And it, it goes on like that yeah. uh, in that tone. And and Quint and Jesse are like, oh, my God. Oh, oh my God. We have witnessed a crime. <laughs> yeah. What do we do now? And it was just like, I, I'm not going to lie, not to brag or anything, I kind of figured out what the big twist was yeah. going to be immediately. Um, and I wasn't mad about that because I wanted to see how how long it would take for Jesse and Quint to catch on. Because it was just absurd. Like, for a mystery. I love that this is billed as a mystery. Yeah. Because it's really not it – does, it didn't actually read like a mystery to no. me. It just was like this delightful romp with these yes. kids who are trying to understand the world around them and who are taking things way too seriously. I 100% agree. I felt the same way. I was kind of like, well, yeah, it's obvious what's happening, you know, and but then at the same time, it just kept going. I was just like, no, they're going to figure it out now, right? They're going to figure it out now. I was like, I almost expected like a different twist to kind of like the twist that comes is fine, but I, I kind of expected it for them to figure this out and then there to be like something else that like kind of finishes things off but I mean I think I think Anna Martin really committed (laughs) to this plot line one thing that I did in kind of preparation is I did go and look at like Goodreads reviews of this book and what was so interesting is that there were some reviews where you could tell that there were people out there and I know people who have done this and I've like followed them on social media but who have like read all of the babysitters club like from start to finish in order and incorporating kind of the specials and the mysteries and everything and so there were a few people who i think were kind of in the middle of reading through the mysteries and but they all were kind of like well it's another typical babysitters club mystery where the mystery is really not a mystery like at (laughs) all and i was like oh i like i was like but even though i figured it out i Again, and you know, as as a as a grown ass adult reading this kid's book, like got it right. But also, I was like, this was it was a lot of fun. Like it was just, I could see this as like like an episode of the TV show or like a short movie or something. Like it would have just been an absolute delight to see like brought to life. So I really, I really like that. But I was I was very surprised by how many people were kind of like well, here's another one where this mystery is is not really anything. And I was like, no, this was delightful. You're wrong. But uh, that was just me in reviews. <laughs> yeah, I mean, they follow the path. And Danielle, do you want to do the honors of revealing what's really going on to our oh, listeners? I would I love mean, spoiler to. Spoiler alert. <laughs> yeah, spoiler alert. just let them know so spoiler that as alert. we continue to discuss, it makes sense. Yeah. Yeah, 30 years later, what <laughs> happens in Jesse and the Jewel Thieves is that they are actually overhearing two actors like practicing <laughs> their lines for a play that has a jewel heist plot. And they are just really in into it. And and so at the end, Quint like kind of meets one of the actors and we kind of hear after the fact that like one of the reasons they showed up at a place where Jesse and Quint happened to be is that one of the actor's nieces was also dancing in the ballet that Quint was also in. And and so kind of all of the the coincidences of like where they see them makes sense, like make sense, slight sense. <laughs> Because, you know, also it's like New York is such a big city, like, and, you know, oh, they're also at, you know, Lincoln Center too. Okay, cool. But it, it was, I thought it was fun. I can't wait for my daughter to read this so I can like see 
literally from like the appropriate age group, like what she gets out of it and to see if like if she figures it out or whatever. So that'll be fun. (laughs) Yeah, it was a fun twist. And I'm not normally a mystery reader anyway. So I don't like put a ton of stock in like whether a twist is good or bad. Like I'm just kind of in it for the experience. I do feel like the Claudia mystery was a little bit more of like a classic mystery. Like I feel like there was something real kind of going on maybe (laughs) this in some ways was better to me because I I figured it out early on and I just like the stakes felt low and I just enjoyed watching Jesse try to balance her newfound ambition to solve the mystery with this like creeping feeling she has about needing to break up with Quint like she keeps putting off the DTR because she needs Quint to be by her side as they chase down these criminals and they're like weighing the odds of calling the police mm-hmm. and Quint's like no we don't have enough information but Jesse is very concerned that like now Frank and Red have seen Quint and Jesse and like know their names yeah. and what happens if like they kill the kids like <laughs> that part of it felt very Nancy Drew yeah definitely and I actually was like really happy to see Jesse be so quick to like make the suggestion to call the police and I'll give you a little bit of context on like some of the conversations we've had about Nancy Drew because I do think it informs this part of our discussion in the Nancy Drew episode something that's come up again and again is just Nancy's entitlement her sense of entitlement Mm. with law enforcement and how comfortable she is just like calling in favors with police officers and often those conversations have circled around pretty quickly to the matter of race and how as a white privileged girl in these very like white privileged books Nancy is like sure I will call the police and they will show up in five minutes and they will believe anything I say and all of that happens it proves out every time right Nancy doesn't need to produce any evidence like if you reread those books it's like oh Nancy Drew has a hunch and the police will pretty much always chase it down And um, some of the episodes that we've recorded, especially based on like the timing of them, according to world events and like deeply upsetting things happening in our country, especially, we've ended up talking about like how insane it is that we grew up with this image that that's what you could do. And there are so many people that would never feel comfortable doing that. And even if they did, would not be given that respect and would potentially be given like horrendous treatment. Mm -hmm. And so I did like that Jesse was like comfortable with the idea of calling the police. And I don't know that Anna Martin thought about it that deeply, but because I've now developed like this, (laughs) this very uh, deep well of knowledge about how some of these books are structured. I was like, okay, great. Like I'm happy to see Jesse, a young girl of color, like, Mm-hmm. thinking that that's what she should do rather than like continuing to scurry around the city alone, like gathering evidence. Right. No, that's so interesting. And again, I'm going to bring, we were such big fans of the Babysitter's Club show that I like immediately am like, oh, how would they have approached this on the show? Like, I think it definitely would have been more nuanced and there definitely would have been some mention of it, I think, in some way where, you know, there would definitely have been something where Jesse would have been uncomfortable doing something. And then maybe one of the other babysitters could have come in and hopefully been had been like an ally and would have, you know, done what needed to happen. That does kind of tie into when they do talk about race, like there are like pretty much two moments, like, which at the very beginning, like probably on page two, where, you know, Jesse explains that her family, they used to live in like a predominantly black neighborhood and she was surrounded by her family. And then they moved to Stony Brook and she's like basically the only black person there. But then it 
kind of towards the end. So they do end up going to a jewelry store. Jesse and Quint end up going to a jewelry store and they kind of get followed through the store. And so what I found really interesting, like when I was reading it as a grown up, the way it came across to me was more like, what are these two kids doing in the store by themselves? But then Quint does kind of, he does say like, do you think they, they were following us because we were black? And Jessie, in, I think it's kind of like in her, like her thought process, she's kind of like, well, maybe it's that, but she kind of is pretty quick to dismiss that. Like, and she's just more, and I think part of that was probably to like make it so it wasn't like a situation where these two black kids were in a very high-end jewelry store and then this police officer comes up up to them and then what i found interesting too was that the police officer was also black in this in that particular situation so i mean there there are like lots of things and it, it is like one of those things where as an author and like knowing like kind of the editorial process like how much of that was like maybe an editor or someone saying like okay let's like make sure like this makes sense and nobody can write us at the time write us an angry letter <laughs> about what was going on or you know now it's like are we going to get called out on social media for this like let's kind of cover all our bases so yeah so that was that was interesting there but i i do agree it, it was like kind of nice that she was able to just be like we should call the police and really quint was kind of like, no, we need to find out more information so we can help with this investigation that we are now inserting ourselves into. Yeah. And as you said that, like, it's hard not to, when reading this through a 2023 lens, of course, like assign all of these other meanings to what's going on. And I wonder if like, as a black boy, Quint particularly would be like, oh, they probably threw us out of the store because we're black. And also he would be like, oh, I don't want to call the police yet. Like mm-hmm. we need to have proof. And again, I do not think that Anna Martin was going there, but it's fascinating <laughs> right. to me to be able to have these conversations 30 years later, Yeah, especially as like a white person who has mm-hmm. had to learn a lot and listen a lot. Like I would never have thought about those things when I was a kid um, or yeah. even like a few years ago. And, and even the idea that like Jesse is so quick to say, you know, oh, there's no way that he's kicking us out because we're black. Like now we've learned about things like internalized racism and Mm -hmm. like the pressure that people in marginalized communities feel to just kind of go along with the predominant prejudice. Like, I don't know, I did find that all really interesting. And I think like a 2023 refresh of moments like that could be really like just even more interesting. Yeah, for sure. I also wonder too, kind of, I think when I was like, after I'd read it and was like thinking back particularly on that scene, I wonder too if it was a little bit of like Jesse's like suburban outlook versus mm. Quint's like city outlook where maybe Quint yeah. has been in more situations where just being in a big city and, you know, being close to probably more, more crime than, you know, what's going on in Stony Brook, Connecticut. He, maybe he also was like, this isn't that serious. Like we, if we're going to go to the police, we have to have like, the facts down and like it needs to be worth kind of worth their time to like investigate into this this possible jewel heist so (laughs) a very serious crime nonetheless it's also like just hearing you say jewel heist like of all of the things that the new york city police department could be dealing with you know like a low-level jewel heist Right. <laughs> Not to say that all crimes shouldn't be investigated because yes, <laughs> sure. Like, yeah. th- I guess that's what we should do. 
But I just think that there are way bigger fish to fry. And yeah. I love that Jesse and Quint were like, no, this is extremely this is serious. serious. Yeah. This is, we can't be involved in this. Like if people find out we knew what would happen, like are right. we eating and abetting criminals? It's, I just, I love how this highlights how kids take themselves so seriously. Yeah. And I certainly took myself so seriously as a kid. 100%. And Anna Martin is so good at showing that. I agree. I love it. I I was like, like, I keep giggling. I'm sorry, you're gonna have a fun time editing this. But like, <laughs> I, I just it. keep like giggling because the whole time I was just like, this is ridiculous. But I love it. I mean, I read this in like, I don't know, like an hour and a half or something like it's such a quick read. It was so it was so fun. <laughs> and speaking of kids taking themselves too seriously, yeah. we of course have to return to the matter of the romance. Oh, yeah. And, oh, my gosh. Uh, how that resolves itself because Jesse continues to push off the DTR into the last possible minute. She doesn't want to stress Quint out before his big performance, which was probably wise. Yes. She doesn't want to preempt the possibility of them solving the crime. He has a lot going on. Yeah. Quint has a lot on his plate. So she really waits until the last second to have the DTR. And there were a few moments that were so relatable. Like she has this experience where she's like watching Quint's family and they're being so nice to her and she's like oh no like this is gonna be so hard they wouldn't be this nice to me if they knew what was about to happen I certainly have had those experiences like I've certainly been broken up with in my life way more than I have been the one to break up with someone but I remember specifically like my first time breaking up with somebody and I knew their family and I just was like oh my gosh they're yeah. like the family's gonna hate me and it's so, it sucks. It's a terrible feeling. You're right. Yeah, it's really hard. I mean, I really loved just like kind of the struggle. Like, it, first of all, this whole like, are we long distance? Are we in a relationship? It felt like something <laughs> out of like a Sweet Valley High novel, you know? Like it seemed like older, Yeah. but it was still a lot of fun. But I mean, I so I, I did like Jesse's internal struggle with, I felt like that was really relatable and I also think like as like kind of a romance minded for like I always like gravitated towards love stories you know like that's just how it was I was like I would have found that very interesting and I would have really enjoyed how she had to kind of figure out how she was gonna like get through this really difficult conversation <laughs> yeah, and I enjoyed that she kept acknowledging like but he's such a nice guy like yeah he's so nice like I don't really want to break up with him but this just isn't practical and we've all had relationships like like that I think at every stage of life and that first time you have to have a hard conversation with somebody whether it's about a relationship or something else is so scary mm-hmm. and she in the end does such a good job and I was relieved that it went so well like it was so quick like there was so yeah. much torment leading up to it but in the end she starts the conversation and Quinn's like oh, wait, same. Like, I also was feeling that way. Like, maybe we should just be friends. And that felt very true to being 11. Like, the sort of, like, stress about the relationship and what it meant and the kissing and all that, that felt like it was maybe too serious. But the way that they worked it out at the end, I was like, no, these are sixth graders. Like, they're babies. Yeah, definitely. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, and then all the times where they would, like, almost kiss, but then, like, someone would come in the room or, like, a car horn would honk or like whatever that I don't think the car horn was a real one but it like it it was like always that kind of a thing where but even to, up till the end like Quint really wanted to kiss her like one more time and it mm-hmm. yeah they were always being thwarted <laughs> yeah and he asked so we saw some consent yeah. models which was, was nice because cute. there are a lot of books like talk about Sweet Valley High there is 
Yeah. Literally zero consent in those books. So the fact that he knew that that was the right thing to do and they had those conversations, I loved it. And then she gets to go back to Stony Brook and she's going to recap all of her adventures. I guess she and Stacy are just fine. She's going to pick up Becca and everything will be back to normal. So as usual, all of the problems are wrapped up with a pretty bow in a Babysitter's Club book. But on the whole, Danielle, I can't wait to hear what this experience was like, if this book held up to your memories of it, or if it let you down in some way. No, it 100% held up. Like I said, I didn't even remember like the basic plot line, for whatever reason. But I I had a delightful time reading this book. It was so cute. And like I said, I was giggling like the whole way through, like out loud. My family was probably like, what is happening? But yeah, it was it was so fun. Like I'm, re- I'm so excited to like go through like my bag of Babysitter's Club books and like reread probably all of them. I'm going to have a time this year rereading these Babysitter's Club books. <laughs> I can't wait to hear about the time you have because yeah. <laughs> yes, that sounds really fun, especially since you have young readers in your house who yes. might want to go along with you. That's so fun. Other than Jesse and the Jewel Thieves, which took you all of an hour and a half. <laughs> What have you been reading lately, Danielle, that you might recommend to our listeners? Yeah, so I recently read a book called, it's a historical romance by Sarah McLean. It is called Knockout. It is the third book in her Hell's Bells series. And so like kind of the conceit of this series, they all stand alone. So you can kind of jump in, but it's one of those series where you're going to read one and you're going to want to read the rest of them. But the conceit of the series is that it's, it's a Victorian girl gang and they are like smashing the historical patriarchy, like one pompous aristocrat at a time where like there are these like aristocrats you know these men who think that they you know rule the world and they kind of do in victorian england but they you know they're doing these terrible things to the women in their oftentimes the women in their lives or people who are less fortunate in their lives and so this group of women some of them are also a part of the aristocracy some of them aren't they kind of take them down like in very intricate ways like because they know the right people to talk to but of course while they're on kind of all of these little capers not little these capers, these big capers, they also fall in love along the way. And they are usually, there's usually some big conflict with like what their goal is that comes up against what the um, the love interest is also trying to do. And so it's very, it's like, there's a lot of tension. It's very delicious. And it's a lot of fun. And Sarah McLean is just, she, she knows what she's doing. It definitely has kind of I think what a lot of people say is like there there's kind of a modern feminist angle to these books, but she really like posits them into history in a way that makes sense. And that's something that I always appreciate. So I yeah, and that and that is brand new. That I think that comes out on the day that this is going up. So so it is a brand new Perfect. book. Um yeah, that that I hope people will check out because I had a lot of fun reading it. Hot off the presses, just available. Listeners, go get your copy. I will include a link in the show notes. And speaking of books that listeners should add to their TBR, Danielle, you have a new book out, Accidentally in Love. It came out two weeks ago as this episode drops. Congratulations. Thank you so much. (laughs) Tell us all about it. Yeah, so Accidentally in Love is my grumpy sunshine or opposites attract romance 
um, between two people who live and work in Chicago. My heroine or female main character's name is Sam. She is an office manager at a boudoir and pinup photography studio. And she is kind of on the brink of burnout. She's kind of at that point in her career where she can stay where she is, or she could possibly move up or move on to something new. But at the same time, she wants to do a really excellent job. So she takes on like every project and it's kind of, it's starting to catch up with her and then her love interest his name is russ he is an aspiring chef if you are as obsessed with the bear as i am there are definitely like some maybe some like similarities between russ and carmy from the bear which i wrote this book before the bear came out but the, the parallels are there and they have been they're part of the same friend group and they have kind of been dancing around each other for about a year but they're both super busy with their jobs so they never really have had the time to get together but no russ um has an opportunity to go to culinary school across the country so he is leaving at the end of the summer so they decide to have a summer like a, a casual summer fling but there are some stops and starts to that fling and of course feelings get in the way and they have to really make some big decisions before it's too late those pesky feelings those pesky decisions they're always <laughs> ruining everything for us yes for sure <laughs> Sounds like the perfect thing to pick up to finish up your summer reading or to start your fall reading. I am so excited for our listeners to learn more about your work and to go grab copies of both of your books. Um, So listeners, go check out the show notes for this episode to get a link to purchase Accidentally in Love over on bookshop.org. Danielle, this has been so fun. Thank you so much for spending this time with me. Thank you so much for having me on. This was a joy. I agree. SSR is part of the Frolic Podcast Network. Find more podcasts you'll love at frolic.media slash podcasts. Thanks so much for listening to the SSR Podcast. Check out our website at www.ssrpodcast.com for show notes and other information. And be sure to connect with us on social media for updates on upcoming episodes, behind-the-scenes inside scoop, and some good old-fashioned book talk. Find us at SSR Pod on Instagram and Twitter and search SSR Podcast on Facebook to join the group. To reach out directly, you can send me an email at hellossrpod at gmail.com. If you're loving the show, it would mean so much if you could subscribe, leave a five-star review, and share your thoughts with a comment. And don't forget to tell your friends, too. In the meantime, happy reading. I'll see you next time on the SSR Podcast.